Church is an organization. It has been said church is the one organization or perhaps in the few types of organizations that exists for those that are not yet its members. Which in Christ's economy, in the way he describes the kingdom, the followers of Jesus are engrafted and then invited to participate in, that includes us. But we have been entrusted with the words of life. As Jesus was leaving the earth, he not only said, I'll never leave you and forsake you, he not only said you have the Holy Spirit, he also said you will do greater things than me, which is humbling. And it is why we're, we're spending a few weeks talking about vision of the church. So in my opinion, if a pastor gets up and, and preaches vision within the first year or two, or maybe even three, it could be a little arrogant. Because what's unique about this local gathering is the locality and you as individuals. That's what's unique about this church. There are a lot of things about churches that need to happen or it's not a church. We have to be willing to call one another out. Whenever we see sin in one another's lives, we do so graciously. That's called church discipline. If you don't do that, you're not a real church. Elders are in charge of the ministry of the word and sacrament and prayer. If we don't do that, we're not a real church. But what's specific about Covenant Presbyterian and Simsbury? Well, it's you. And it's this locality. So in my opinion... Had I come in the first year or two and said, so this is our vision, who's coming with me? I think that would have been arrogant. At the same time, if there's no vision, why would you sign up? And those of you that are already signed up, why would you stay signed up? If there's not a specific version of what we're called to as followers of Jesus together, spiritual family on mission, that's what the church is, family on mission. If you're just family well, then we're not on mission. We're just on mission. We're going to wear one another out. We live in the tension of those two things. And so what, what I've been doing for the four and a half years that I've been here is I've been attempting to build a foundation of things that are always true and things that are unique that produce a vision that will sit alongside our mission. So those building blocks are gather. So in... 2014, I preached a sermon on why gather. That's the New Testament word for church. It's not a building. It's a gathering of followers of Jesus. And the things that I preached about there are true for every church. I also preached on being Presbyterian, which is, of course, the best way. Um, and I have a quick question. If you were at all involved this weekend in Presbytery, would you stand up for just a second? If you cooked, if you were a ruling elder who showed up, if you did tech ministry... you led our worship service on Friday night. Thank you. Would you give them a quick round of applause? Go ahead and sit back down. A couple of years ago, a megachurch pastor that Rachel and I are friends with was fired from uh, his job for grounds. And Rachel and I were on a walk and she goes, you need to start telling me the times that the elders wouldn't do what you said. And when I got to like number 14, she was like, okay, that's enough. That's fine. Because she was nervous that you know, it can go to a pastor's head when they don't have good accountability. We are in a system that has accountability. And this particular weekend, and if you didn't know about that, I apologize, we got to minister to 48 churches that are in our region. They heard the word of the Lord preached by candidates who are becoming pastors. We had a worship service up in the hayloft that was wonderful. We had communion. One of our elders defended a young man in ministry in a beautiful fashion. The food was amazing, and whoever knew that I had not eaten 
and handed me that box of food at 9 p.m. Thank you so much. I think it was Patty Peck. Thank you, Patty. So in 2014, we talked about why gather. In 2015, we talked about Presbyterian because we're going to continue to do things in a Presbyterian way. We're going to have elders and we're going to have deacons and we're going to have trustees. And then we talked about the law. Not a very cool, perhaps, way of talking about vision, but it's essential because we are given a text, the scriptures, and throughout it, our encouragements about how to live in light of the pursuing love of God, and we take that text seriously. And the way that I chose to preach on that was going through the Ten Commandments. And then last year, we went through 1 Corinthians 13, which you've heard read at weddings, but it's actually more specifically for a gathering of Christ's followers. Everything that we do from a gathering standpoint and a Presbyterian standpoint and taking the text seriously needs to be received as love, as patient and kind and something without envy and something that doesn't boast. It is an encouragement for married couples. I don't ever tell them don't use this in a wedding, but it it is first and foremost for us as followers of Jesus, a call to love. And then we went through the things that don't change. Prayer, the gospel, the scripture. And then we get to what's unique, and I already mentioned this. Local and limits. The other side of limits is calling. As individuals and as an organization, we have gifts, we have things we care about, and we have circumstances, and they guide us into a vision. And so what I'm attempting to invite you into is to be all in with our vision. Those of you that are members of Covenant Presbyterian Church, I hope that this is encouraging to you. Those of you that are considering becoming a follower of Jesus, this is what we're inviting you into as a potential follower of him. If you are a Christian or considering this church, this is what we are going to use to decide what we do and what we don't do as a church. That's what the vision statement's purpose will be. Our mission statement is one that every church should have in some form, and most of them do. Equip people to love God and neighbor. How, though? That's what the vision statement answers. How? Well, first of all, it's a worshiping gathering. And that doesn't surprise you. We've already sang and confessed and done a call to worship. But I want us to begin thinking about this time as training grace. Paul's words to Titus in chapter 2, not only are we saved by grace, grace trains us up. A lifetime of love for God and neighbor takes more than inspiration. It takes training in the muscles and the tissues that are involved. I don't know how many of you are members of a gym. I have at times been members of a gym and at times not. Sometimes I went, sometimes I didn't go. And I can tell you my very favorite part of a gym. I was talking to Rick Schoenhart this week. It's his favorite part of a gym too. It's if they have a hot tub. And I really like it if they have a steam room. And I like saunas so much that when we made some money in our house in St. Louis selling it, I bought a sauna and there's one in my basement. Oh yeah. That's how much I like saunas. It's very small and awkward. (laughs) That's not in your notes. 
but you never join a gym for the hot tub or the steam room or the sauna. You join because you want to have energy, right? That's why I work out some, because I want to have energy. I want to feel good. I want to be active and available to my family. I want to live for more years, right? There are reasons that we go to the gym even though perhaps our favorite thing about the gym is not the reason that we join. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh. Hello. Absolutely, Kathy. 100%. And the reason I say that is for many of you, uh, the hot tub is either the sermon or the music. Good. We need more than that. We need to be trained in more ways of being a follower of Jesus than that. We need equipping. We need to learn to praise even when we don't feel like it. And that doesn't mean do it inauthentically. If you're familiar with the Psalms, you know that they will teach us over time, and that's where our responsive readings at the beginning of the service come from, the Psalms. They'll teach us over time, how do we praise when we don't feel like praising? We will learn the skill of lament that most Americans don't want to learn because we believe we should avoid it. And therein is happiness. Well, the with God life teaches us to learn to cry out, to complain, to lament, to do so among friends. Because it is wise to be sad about sad things. We learn to confess. Because you know what people who learn to confess do? They end up confessing to their neighbors when they've hurt them or missed opportunities for love. Your longtime friend, the one that you know will shoot you straight, part of the reason you're that close is because you got over the news, weather, and sports and putting your best foot forward, part of community, and part of the way that you did that was learning to confess when you hurt one another or missed opportunities for love. And so we're training ourselves for life. Because we will go through all of the seasons of life. We will go through seasons of orientation that we will miss. We won't realize that we had it good because that's how humans work. I defined it this morning during the call to worship as the time when there's no crisis. That's how broken and bent the world is. Perhaps that's our season of orientation. And during that season, we learn to praise. We'll also go through seasons of disorientation, like the psalmist in Psalm 30, who said, will the dust praise you because he was so ill? Or the psalmist in Psalm 88, who was so depressed, the psalm closes with, darkness is my closest friend. We'll learn in our seasons of anger at injustice, broadly or individually, to ask the Lord to do whatever we feel like he should do to our enemies because it is an act of profound faith to entrust our most precious hatreds to him knowing he will take them seriously. That's a quote from Walter Brueggemann. So it's important that we learn to worship in all seasons. It's important that we learn to love one another. I have no idea in the scheme of all the things that make up a sermon how 
compelling and interesting or good my sermons are, but let's just say for a second that they're among the best in New England and people start visiting here. What if our music alone draws men and women that aren't followers of Jesus, but the music is so good that they have to attend here? What if our service to the community and the stories that we tell in our faithful presence, people are like, I'm not sure about Jesus, but those CPC people so love the community and then they show up and we're gossiping about one another. And we can't forgive one another. And we don't take care of the widows and those that live alone in our midst. And there are certain people that won't actually speak to one another. And I say this because when I say community is part of our vision, which is in your notes, people who not only have a worshiping gathering but who love one another, it is important that we lean into knowing and valuing one another. If we're only knowing one another, it's a little bit more like a therapy group. If we only value one another, we end up using one another for our service. Here at CPC, it's relatively easy to find community to serve alongside, and that's good. We also need to find time to get to know one another and to play. If the disciples during Jesus' earthly ministry had time for nicknames, then we need to figure out community too. You know what I'm talking about? They all st- so James, after Jesus sends out the disciples, James and John are so frustrated that people didn't receive their amazing preaching better. And so they wanted to call down fire on them. So the rest of the disciples started calling them the sons of thunder, the Boanerges. Do you, you think it did what humor often does? Do you think it was like kind of funny to James and John? And then it was like super annoying. And then it was like hilarious. That's one of my favorite forms of humor, sarcasm and repetition, where the joke goes from pretty funny to, well, yeah, I've had enough of that too. That's hilarious. I don't know. But I do know that there are a lot of things we don't know about the three years of Jesus's earthly ministries. And we do know that 10 of the disciples called two of them a nickname because their community was not only about getting things done. So as you consider leaning into community here, it needs to be that way. That's why our deacons have a Christmas party. That's why we try and remember to celebrate the members of GLUE who do our hospitality. And it's important that in community, we not only know one another, but we value one another. We not only serve together, but we know one another's stories. My hope is that how we're known in the community is maybe odd people because we worship a risen carpenter from Nazareth who we believe is returning to make all things new, but also men and women who love one another. And I know that stings some of you right now because we have missed opportunities. Next time, please give us a chance to care well for you in a season of disorientation. Our deacons are limited, as Andrew said, and yet they are here for you. And I hope that you consider finding a place of community here. And I say that, and as I said three weeks ago when I preached on this more specifically, it will sting, and that sting is part of us getting to know one another better and then becoming a better community. It doesn't mean it was okay, what they said, but that's part of how we get to know one another as an imperfect gathering serving a perfect
Lord. So the vision is of a worshiping gathering who love one another and are faithfully present. If you were here last week, you heard me talk about a ministry called All Hands In. All Hands In is a, a, a ministry based in Boston but goes all throughout New England and probably other parts of the country. And they work through other organizations to find victims of trafficking who have been rescued. They find them a sponsor and then they teach them to pray. And I know your heart's been broken. I doubt it's been broken like that. And I heard back from the uh, head of the organization and she wants to hear about our retreat center. Because I think we have a role not only in leading people on retreat but inviting the brokenhearted here and partnering with organizations that know how to absorb some of their story and then come alongside them. One of the pastors in our presbytery's name is Bonnie Gatchel. She's been ordained for a number of years here. And she's going to come and be with us in May and bring her whole team. That's the ministry that rescues women from um, strip clubs. It takes an average of 12 years and 17 tries. Because it's a dark but lucrative place. And it's still legal. And if that makes you feel guilty, I don't want you to feel guilty, but, you know, stop going. I'm just going to say it out loud. I think we have a unique role in teaching the brokenhearted to pray. And the reason I'm excited to tell you that is sometimes I don't like the way that that Christians will talk about things like retreat ministry because sometimes it talks, it sounds like we're we're, uh, implying that there's another level of spirituality. And I love taking retreats. I've been going on retreats for over 20 years and leading them for about 15. And I think it's really essential to my own heart to get away and take a breath. But sometimes when we talk about retreats, it sounds like there's an additional level of spirituality. And there's not. There simply isn't. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus. And yet, learning to retreat is a way of leaning into that. But what I love about this, ministries like All Hands In and Route One and the other ministries that we're in contact with around the area is we might have a role because of our specific circumstances. The fact that we have 38 acres. Did you know that? The fact that we built a schoolhouse for the master school, but they found another property. And so we have this building that we long to not only be a place where we can lean into the Father heart of God, the work of Christ and the Spirit, but also lead the brokenhearted in. I believe that's where the Lord is taking us and I hope that encourages you. Brings me to a point though where um, people have expressed frustration to me when I talk about faithful presence because they're saying, you're not telling me exactly how to do it. Let me be real clear. This is the faith that never makes anyone happier. It's not my job to tell you how to do it. I'm your pastor. The clearest text in the New Testament about my role is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So it's my job to tell you that the love of Jesus compels us, according to Matthew chapter 25, to minister to the least of these. And I do believe as an organization we need to provide avenues. But if your heart is stirred for the least of these, don't wait on me. Please don't. 
And if your heart is stirred for the least of these, don't wait on your church, though we must learn how to do this as a church. I believe it's essential that we develop avenues so that it's easier for you to serve the least of these, but don't wait. You have Google, right? You know your area. Where does your heart come alive? When you hear Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 describe several different categories of the least of these, you can't serve all of them. You have limits. One of those categories stands out to you, right? The imprisoned or the homeless or those without food. Where your heart comes alive, go. Wait for me. And at the same time, we are going to get better at this as an organization. We're going to get better at serving the food pantry. We're going to get better at serving Kairos Prison Ministry. We're going to get better at serving Harvard City Mission. Not because it feels good, though it does sometimes. Because the love of Christ encourages us in an unstoppable fashion towards the least of these. And what excites me about the vision of a worshiping gathering who love one another and are faithfully present is this is a guide to us as individuals to enjoy the joy of the kingdom. So when Jesus was on earth and he spoke about what it means to follow him, he used the word kingdom a lot. And I'm so thankful to the Apostle Paul who summarized that as the righteousness of following him, joy and peace. And you're like, I love the idea of joy. I kind of like the idea of righteousness. Love the idea of peace. How do I enjoy those things? Well, these are how. Learning the training grace of all components of worship. Enjoying this incredibly imperfect community. And being faithfully present where you find yourself. Your actual neighborhood, this community, the Farmington Valley. That's the kingdom life that's purchased for us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we look to you for help. Because so many people and things demand our attention and our money and our time and our hands and our work. And yet you call us to worship you, to learn to be a spiritual community and to be faithfully present with our neighbors and specifically with the least of these. We desperately need your help, Father. Lord Jesus, guide us. Because of your great love, because you indeed paid for all of our sin and call us into new life, guide us as individuals and as an organization into lives of life. Amen.